The following message was given to the North Young Adult Group at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church slash Young Adults. My assigned topic is this, the supremacy of Christ, out of Colossians. So I was assigned a text from chapter 1 of Colossians. And just take a moment, is this in focus? Is this the best it's going to get? Which one yeah. do I Is it clear? Yeah. Or clear? Just, I'm drinking that picture for just a minute. Because I love that picture. Uh, there's, it's beautiful. The grain fields and the grain elevators and some woods in the background. And that tremendous thunderhead back there, which is beautiful from this angle and probably very threatening as you get close to it. <laughs> and I think it relates to the supremacy of Christ. Considered from a certain angle, beautiful. Supremacy of Christ is like, oh, yeah, amen, let's all. And the closer you get to it, it's like, watch your step. Take shelter. The only way to take shelter from Christ is in Christ. He's the only thing that can shelter you from himself. Okay, here's my text that I've been assigned, so I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So, image of something invisible. There's another one of the paradoxes. If you want to see something invisible, there's the image of the invisible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's going to be an important word, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. We're going to come back to that phrase in the next slide. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Uh, you're acquainted maybe with Bethlehem College and Seminary that our church has, and the seminary has a seal, looks like this. And you see the Latin phrase on the right-hand side there, omnia in Christo constant, which comes from the 17th verse that we just read. You probably, without knowing Latin, have figured out because it's close enough to the English. Omnia. What's omni mean? Many. All, like omniscient, omnipresent, means everywhere, all time, knowing everything. In means in Christo, Christ, and constant. Constant, yeah. So in Christ, all things are held constant. And the verse said, you can see it in 17, uh, in him all things hold together. The reason you don't just melt into a puddle right now is because Jesus is holding you together. The reason that bus out there stays a bus is because Jesus is holding its bussiness. There's a story in the Old Testament about uh, 
Uzzah. And he's walking along as some oxes, oxen are drawing the, the uh, ark. And the oxen stumble. And it looks like the ark is going to tip over and fall in the mud. And so he sticks out his hand just reflective, reflectively just to, to hold it up. And God strikes him dead. Boom. Boom. Because he disobeyed. Now that's what we all deserve. We all should be dead like Uzzah. God was more concerned with the obedience of Uzzah than the obedience of the mud. The mud stayed where it was. It stayed mud. But Uzzah rose up and said, I know better than God about stumbling oxen. In Christ, all things hold together, including mud, including galaxies, including those clouds out there. They will hold their form as a cloud as long as Jesus holds them. And when he's done with that, they'll move on and be something else. Okay, moving on. Now that text that we just looked at, instead of writing it out as a paragraph, you could break it down into phrases, make a list. So, it could look like this. Number one, he's the image of the invisible God. Number two, he's the firstborn of all creation. These are like credentials of Jesus. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, over the thrones are given to rulers and authorities. Four, all things were created through him and for him. Demons were made through him and what for? For him. Made for him. We've got to get our arms around big theology when we're talking about Jesus and when we're talking about supremacy. 17, and he's before all things. Next one, and in whom all things hold together. 18, and he's the head of the body of the church. Next one, he's the beginning. Next one, he's the firstborn from the dead. Next, that in everything he might be preeminent. That has to do with supremacy, my assigned topic. 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 20, then through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I hope you can listen fast, because I'm going to cover a lot of ground here in the minutes that I have. Now, what does it mean that he's the firstborn of all creation? There's a couple of problems in that text. That I feel like it's common for us to stumble over, so I'm going to pause long enough to talk about those. What's it mean that he's the firstborn? It does not mean he was created. Firstborn of creation doesn't mean there's all these created things and he's one of them. It doesn't mean that. Firstborn of all creation does not mean he's part of creation. We can say it for four reasons. Number one, he's God, not part of what God made. He, Jesus, as God, made all things. God is the only underived being in existence. All other beings are derived from God. Jesus is not derived from anything other than his eternal self, which isn't derived. It's always there. Number two, second reason, notice the word for in verse 16. He is firstborn of all creation for, or because, or since, or Therefore, by him all things were created. So he's the firstborn of creation. I'm going to stand here. Sorry, closer. You play. Yeah, that's Because he created all things. He, he, the, the word for there 
is giving the ground for he's the firstborn of all creation. Here's the third reason. The word of, in firstborn of all creation, does not have to mean he's part of creation. In fact, it doesn't mean that. For example, Pastor Aaron Rothermel, who's pastor at this church, is the leader of children's Sunday school. It doesn't mean that he's a child. He's the leader of children's Sunday school. It doesn't mean he's a child. Leader of means leader over. And that's what is meant in this verse. Jesus is firstborn over all creation. But since he's the firstborn of creation, it's like saying he's, the, he's um, 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 fishing for another analogy. I was going to say captain of the team would be on the team. Uh, manager of the team would not necessarily be on the team. Owner of the team is not necessarily on the team. When Jesus is firstborn of creation, he's the owner of creation. He's, he's the boss of creation. Number four, the word firstborn means alongside. Uh, biological meaning, having the highest rank. As in Psalm 89.27, where God says to David, I will make him the firstborn, which means the highest of the kings of the earth. That is, not merely among them, but over them. The other problem in this text is what does it mean that he's reconciled all things? Does it mean that we are universalists? No. It does not mean universalism. It doesn't mean that all are saved because everybody must be reconciled to God, including the demons. Not true. It means that all who are reconciled to God are reconciled through Christ. If you are reconciled to God, he did it. That's what it means. He reconciled all things. It means all things that are reconciled, he did it. Christ is supreme in reconciliation. But my... My main aim here, I don't want to just exegete this text, which you can do in a month of Sundays, but um, I want to emphasize one uh, aspect of Christ's supremacy and get at it this way. Christ is the theme of the Bible. He's what the Bible is about. There's a, a, a book by uh, Norman Geisler called Christ, the Theme of the Bible. It came out in 1967, something like that. That's old. And um, funny for me to say that's an old book. Christ, the demon Bible, and he traces in that book Jesus in every book of the Bible, even where he's not mentioned. So Jesus is not mentioned by name in Genesis. Oh, yes, he is. And Christ is the key to the Bible. So the first bullet, he's the theme of the Bible. The Bible's about him. The second bullet is saying that he explains all the rest of it. Jesus is what makes sense in all the rest of the Bible. You read the Bible without Jesus, it doesn't make sense. That's why Jews have a hard time making sense out of the Old Testament. They leave Jesus out. So on, on this point, come on, go back. Uh, Christ being the theme of the Bible and that Christ is the key to the Bible. He unlocks all passages. We'll see some examples of this. Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, He's on the road to Emmaus. He's talking with a couple of people after his resurrection. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what does Jesus think all the scriptures are about? Himself. himself. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's thinking that all that Moses wrote, the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, and all the Psalms, all the wisdom literature, it's about him. 
which is an audacious, uh, the audacity to, to claim, uh, you know what that's all about? About me. Either he's a self-conceited prig, or he's something. John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. You want to know what the scriptures are about? Me, what Jesus is saying. Hebrews 10, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure, speaking to the Father. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So Jesus is saying that the scroll of the book is written about him. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I am the living fulfillment of the scriptures. They speak of something, and I am the thing they speak of. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now this, I'm departing with this text from his authorization of the scriptures, or that the scriptures uh, are all about him. But here, if there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, he's obviously superior to all other nominees for the role. There's one mediator. There isn't like a, a second alternate who could fill in if Jesus is busy that day. Doing well, it's in him or in You get you get mediation through him, or you get no mediation. John 1:1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That is, all things. By which he means all things, which includes all things <laughs> were made through him. Without him was not anything that anything made that was made. In him was life, the life was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is good news. You can't snuff out the light of Jesus. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So here we see his pre-existence, his underrivedness. He was always there before everything else, because he made everything else. He was there to make. Revelation 1.8, I am, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the beginning, I'm the end, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So Jesus is saying he's the Lord God and he's the Almighty and he's the beginning and he's the end. These are sweeping claims. He's not just saying, oh, I'm pretty powerful. Like a thunderhead, he's saying, I'm all I'm, I'm not just mighty. I'm all mighty. Christ authenticates events historical and miraculous, often disputed by modern critics. There are people who challenge, you know, what was there really a Jonah? And so on. And Jesus authenticates a number of these. And one must either accept Jesus' authentication of these things or impugn his integrity. Either you have to say, well, he got it right, and those things must have happened, or he's, he's mistaken, or he's an idiot, or he's an ignoramus, or he got tricked, or something. There's something defective about Jesus, or else the things that he authenticates really happen. Such as, here's what we're galloping, so you listen fast. He personally verifies Adam and Eve, 
That's historical. Israel's wilderness wanderings, those are historical, including the miraculous events that happened in the wilderness. Abel's murder, Elijah and the widow, Noah and the flood, Naaman the leper, Lot and Sodom, David and the tabernacle, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Solomon and the queen of Sheba, Moses and the burning bush. Jesus refers to all of these as having really happened. Either they really happened, or Jesus is mistaken. Jonah and Nineveh, Daniel, which we heard in a sermon series recently, Satan, demons, Jesus authenticates all these things. Acts 4.12, you're familiar with this verse. And there is salvation in many others, for there are many other names under heaven given among men by which we might be saved if salvation is necessary at all, because we're all basically good. <laughs> I didn't get an amen there. Nope. <laughs> oh, yes. Or it could be said that there is salvation in your own works, huh? <laughs> or, and when you die, that's the end. Annihilation. You know how it really reads. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, just to clarify, when it says there's no other name under heaven, it doesn't mean that there could be some other name in heaven or above heaven. It's saying heaven has authorized no other name. There is no other name anyway. Heaven is the highest authority, and it hasn't authorized any other name by which there is salvation. You're going to get saved from damnation if that salvation is in no one else. A creator is superior over what he creates. Again, my topic, my assigned topic is the supremacy of Christ. He's over everything that he created, just like you're over the things that you create. A final judge beyond which there no, is no appeal is supreme. So the Alpha who made everything is supreme. And the final judge beyond which there, beyond whom there is no appeal is also supreme. Like a Supreme Court. You make all your appeals to the lesser courts, you get to the Supreme Court, that's it. You can't go any farther. Well, he is the Supreme Judge. His ruling is final. He made everything, brought it into existence, and he will judge every word, thought, and deed. Every idle word. For there is to be no appeal beyond someone's... For there to be no appeal beyond someone's ruling is to identify that person as Supreme Judge. Whoever gets the final word, they're supreme. Whoever issues the final sentence, verdict, guilty, sentence, hell, and there's no appeal, well, that's supreme judge. Now, this is one application slide, maybe, for all of us here. If you don't know him as Lord, you don't know him. Lordship means authority. He needs no one's permission for anything. There would be people who say, well, yeah, um, he needs permission to come into my heart or to save me or to convert me or transform me or regenerate me. So, uh, ask the Apostle Paul about the road to Damascus. <laughs> he didn't ask him to get, to get knocked down. He struck blind. He had his whole worldview changed. God just said, not the time. 
many enemies of Christ don't mind that he's a profound teacher or a miracle worker or a moral reformer or a light in the darkness or an influential leader, an historical figure, a spiritually powerful man. They don't mind any of that stuff. They're willing to say these things even. What, is, what they strenuously object to is his authority. They don't want him as Lord, boss, master, lawgiver, judge, owner, because in all of those roles, he has authority. But if you don't relate to him as Lord, you don't yet understand him or know him. This was the big deal with the Pharisees, the high priests, the Sadducees. They didn't mind that he was a Jew and he did some miracles and stuff. They didn't mind that he assumed authority. You can ask, by what authority do you do these things? Matthew's texts speak of Jesus' authority, for he was teaching them as one with authority and not as their scribe. That's at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is one of those verses in the Bible that has just a little bit of humor in it. Because the conclusion is, Oh, one of authority. Not of the scribes. <laughs> Dig on the scribes. Matthew 8, 8, but the centurion replied, this is, this is not a Jew. This is a Gentile. The centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority. This is what the centurion is understanding about Jesus. You're Lord. You're in charge. My servant is ailing, and you're in charge. I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, he goes. To another, come, he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Wouldn't you like to have Jesus marvel at your faith? Jesus marveled. It's one of the, I think, two places in the Bible where Jesus marveled. And he said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. This guy recognizes authority, and Jesus called that faith. You don't recognize my authority? You don't have faith in me yet. 9-6. But that you may know that the Son of Man has <laughs> authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. He's the boss over the paralysis, and he's the boss over the man. Pick up your bed. Go home. I'm telling you what to do. 10.1. And he called him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Don't miss the word every. Every. Now, well, I can do paralytics, but I, I can't do blindness. I can't do it. If some woman's been bleeding for 12 years, that's not, I don't have, I don't have a degree in that. Authority. 21. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? <laughs> Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you'll tell me the answer, then I also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, now where did it come from? From heaven 
or from man. It's talking about authority. And they discussed them among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe John? But if we say, well, from man, we're afraid of the crowd, well, they all hold that John was a prophet from God. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This was the question between him and the Pharisees. Who's in charge around here? When he goes into the temple and he overturns tables, what's he claiming to have? Authority. authority. In fact, one of the Gospels says he overturned the tables, he made a whip, drove them out, and he for, what's the word, forbidalized anybody from coming through the temple. He put an end to formal Judaism because he had And Jesus came and said to them, Some authority in heaven and earth has been given. <laughs> Isn't this sweeping? If there's authority anywhere, I have it. He's big. Jesus is big. Let him be big in the economy of your heart. The creator of life has no beginning, even if it can have no end. The life of the creator is inherent. It's just in him. He didn't get it from someplace. He just has it. That's what I am means. Raw being. Raw existence. I just am. John 5, 21, For as the Father raises the dead and will give them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He has the authority. He has the willing, the authority to will it, the end, and to give it. Five verses later, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Consider the supremacy of Christ in his portrait as in Gallup through these know that there, there are dozens of different portraits of Jesus in the Bible. Here are some of them. Alpha and Omega. You, you have to be supreme to be either one of those. And he's both. <laughs> Mighty God. You, you can't be a junior mighty God. You can't be the little league mighty God. If you're the mighty God, you're the tip top, you're the apex, you're the apogee, you're the highest of the high. You can't be superseded. Heir of all things, what's left out? <laughs> Nothing. It's all his. He's king, king of kings. He's the amen. He's the, he's the period at the end of God's sentence. And amen means yes. One of, the, one of the best sermons I've heard. I'd like to recreate it. I, I contacted the guy who preached this one time and said, did you have notes from that sermon? He said, what sermon? <laughs> His sermon was entitled, Yes. And uh, I want to go through the Bible someday, you can me about this, and find all the ways that Jesus is the yes to all the obstacles. Say no to us. Anyway, I digress. I gotta keep galloping. He's Lord, we just talked about authority, and God. He's judge. He's the desire of all nations. Head, head of the church, almighty, blessed and only Pope. Only. There's but one. As Isaiah says, um, there's no God like you, because there's no God but you. 
In Matthew's account alone, Jesus demonstrates his authority. So I'm going to try to end on this note. I'm going to give you 114 things over which Jesus has authority over. Here we go. And his authority over his own birth. None of you have that. I don't. He selected the time and place of his own birth. Wow. Virginity. A woman who's never been with a man conceives. Boat. Calls for boat, says, let's go across the sea. It's not his boat. But all boats are his boat. Somebody else owns the boat. I'm getting in. We're going across the sea. Wise men. Now, the reason I say, well, okay, yes. One of the reasons I say he has authority over the wise men, even as an infant, is because they present their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Joseph and Mary. No, that's not what the Bible says. They presented it to him. It's his. Not theirs. I'm sure they managed it as adults for him in the same way that the authority that Jesus has, he gives to civil governments and he gives to parents and he gives to employers. He has all kinds of authority that he gives out to other people to, to steward on his behalf. But it's he owns it. An angel. He's the boss of an angel. He has authority over dreams. Your private thought life. He has authority there. Twelve years of bleeding. Now, pause here. He heals this woman who touches the hem of his garment. He, he stops the bleeding. What authority did he have the previous twelve years? He's in the stoppage of the bleeding. What problem you have that hasn't gone away yet, he has authority over that problem. John, he has authority over John. He has authority over his own hunger. He says he's hungry, he goes out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, doesn't have any trays of ice cream or anything out there. And, and uh, he tells his hunger, take a hike. I'm in charge. Blindness and the blind. He not only can, can um, assign their blindness in the Gospel of John, we're in Matthew, but in the Gospel of John, why was this man blind? Because he sinned or his parents sinned? No, no, no. He was appointed blind to show the glory of God. So he's in charge of the blindness, and he's in charge of the blind person. Because when he heals the blind, he tells them what to do next. He tells them where he gives orders. The devil in the wilderness. His itinerary. He decides where he's going. How many of you have your itinerary that's really dictated by others? How many of you have a school class schedule, or you have an employer, or you have a spouse? Daniel? Get ready. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you won't have independence over your itinerary. That's okay. In fact, you'll show your love by yielding your itinerary. Mutants. He's in charge of it. Fishermen. 
He can tell them where to fish, when to fish, and when to stop fishing and follow me. Every disease and affliction, we already saw that. The law. The, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it says, Now, you've heard it's been said, but I say. You've also heard that it's been said, but I say. He's exercising authority over the law. Workers of lawlessness. He has authority over them. He will assign punishments to them. The twelve disciples. He tells them, quit your tax collecting. Follow me. Put down your nets. Follow me. That's an order. He doesn't say, would you like to? He doesn't send out invitations and take the first twelve to respond. He tells them. The crowd. He can tell the crowd, uh, assemble yourselves seated on the grass in groups of 50. Or, go home. He has authority. Demons and unclean spirits, obey him. Anxiety. He has authority over anxiety. Many of the stories in the Sermon on the Mount are about anxiety. You'll consider the birds. They, they don't uh, gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Take no thought what you will eat, what you will drink. Your Father knows what you're here to please. Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil, they don't spin, and yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I tell you, your Father will take care of you. Don't fret about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. He's in charge of anxiety. Leprosy and lepers. The same as, as blindness and blind. He not only can heal the leprosy, he can tell the lepers what to do after they're healed. Storm, winds, sea, waves. He has authority over inanimate, material, earth science kinds of things. His coming. Now, this is not his second coming. There are places in Matthew where it says, and he came to Capernaum. He was in charge of coming there. And there are places where it says, well, it's not in his time. Where did he go? Dead girl. He has authority over a dead girl. That she not be dead. Matthew explicitly, I already named 12 disciples, but Matthew is in the middle of doing his work as a tax collector. He says, follow me. And immediately Matthew gets up, leaves his, his, uh, what are some of the tax companies? What's the green square one? H&R yeah. Block? No. H&R yeah. Block. Yeah, he's working at his H&R Block cubicle or his office or whatever. And Jesus says, come on. And he does. And I'm so glad Matthew wrote down all this stuff for us. I tell you, Jesus is impressive. He's way impressive. He's in charge of hiddenness and revelation. That's why he tells parables. To hide things from those who think they're wise and to reveal things for you simpletons who want to learn. He's in, in charge of Gentiles and the lost sheep of Israel. That's merely a verbatim quote of Jesus. He's in charge, has authority over darkness and light, body and soul and hell. Don't fear those who can kill your body, but fear him who can kill body and soul in hell, he says. 
Sparrows, we've already mentioned sparrows. Not one sparrow falls to the ground unless it's appointed. Hairs of your head. Do you know how many hairs are on your head? He does. He knows you better than you know yourself. Acknowledgement or denial before the Father. He owns not some of this, all of it. If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. He is the line of the saint. Peace or sword. We could linger on all these. Life, physical life and eternal life. He has authority over those things. Rewards. This is really good news. That's why we're a Christian business around here. He gives out rewards. Hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> you know, if he had all power, but he wasn't good to us, he could grind us up to powder and blow us away and he would be totally righteous in doing it because he deserved it. But he takes his almighty power and he fastens it on his promise to do us good forever. Could there be better news? And it's free. Y'all come. No charge. Come. Buy bread without money. He has authority over blessing. He can bless the testimony of witnesses. He's Lord over the testimony of other witnesses. Judgment. He's Lord of judgment. Woes. Matthew 20, is it 4? Somebody to tell me who pronounces woe after woe to the Pharisees for this, woe to the Pharisees for that, woe to the Pharisees for this other thing. A whole list of things. He's in charge of those. The assignment of value is greater or lesser. He can define what's more valuable than what? Sparrows. Don't you know that you're of more value than many sparrows that can be bought for two pennies? He's saying you're more important than they are, and they're important enough that he feeds all the trillions of them around the world every day. Or the greatest among you, the greatest, he's assigning great, greaterness and lesserness. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. He's saying, Service. That's how. Why is it up here? Because I say so. That's why. And I'm righteous in saying that. And it'll all add up in the end. He has authority over who knows the Father. He reveals the Father and he hides the Father. He has authority over rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody ever been weary? Say amen or not too good. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He says so. Comes right out and says it. I'm in charge of the Sabbath. Grain and grain fields on the Sabbath. He can glean grain from them if he wants and be righteous in doing so. He's in charge of a withered hand. Here's a big one. He's in charge of his own tongue. He can speak with profundity. He can remain silent like a lamb on the slaughter and not mumble a word. Now, James, his brother, later clarifies that there is nobody, and anybody who can bridle his tongue is a righteous man, 
This is a made authority. You don't have, I don't have the authority over our tongues that we would like to have. When gossip slips out, He's in charge of this age and the age to come. He's in charge of forgiveness. He has authority over and judgment over every careless word. He will judge every idle word, he says. He understands parables and he dictates who else understands parables. He defines brotherhood, sisterhood, and motherhood. And some people say, you know, we don't we know who your mother and your brothers and sisters are. He says, I'll tell you who my brothers and sisters and my mother are. And he gives a whole new definition, like he does with many words. He, he knows there's a double meaning. He knows he has a mother named Mary. But I mean, at the cross, he assigns a disciple to take care of her. He knows that's his mother. But he also puts a different meaning on it. The same that he does with words like light. Oh, there's a certain kind of light, that physical kind of light, material kind of light. And there's a there's a, a illumination of the spirit. It's a different kind of a light. And there's a door. So when he says he's a door, he doesn't mean that he's made out of oak. Sheep. There's more than one meaning of the word sheep. And there's a lots of words like that that Jesus handles in double ways. Wisdom. All the treasures of wisdom are given to him. Secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He has all of them. Loaves and fishes. He can multiply them. But God the Father multiplies fishes all the day everywhere. That's what C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books someplace. God does this slowly all the time around the world is multiplying fish and Jesus does it like that just quick Ooh. let's have enough fish right here to make fish sandwiches for 5,000 men plus women and children right here and 12 baskets left over still continuing he's in charge of seating thousands of peoples on the grass he's in charge of dismissing the crowds he has authority to walk on water blows my mind you know is that couple of lakes in the last few days and uh, in the morning I wasn't doing it. It's not hard to see how he could walk on water like that. But when it's wavy and choppy, uh, now what did, did his ankles get wet? Does the tops of the waves, you know, hit his calf? Did, you know, is he walking in the troughs between the waves? Is he walking on the on the peaks of the way? I don't know how he's doing it, but he has the authority to do it and somebody else is walking on he has authority over that, too, as long as Peter looks to him. He has authority over the lame, the crippled, signs given or withheld, his church, the gates of hell, fear and no fear. He has authority over who will fear. He has authority over his own death and his resurrection. He can lay down his life and he can take it up again. He has authority, this is amazing, over fish and coin and taxes. <laughs> Go catch a fish, and it'll be just, just the one that has just the coinage in it that you need for your taxes. Amazing. Even if it wasn't miraculous, it would be miraculous. <laughs> Two or three gathered in the name, this is good news for us. 
or two of you are gathered in his name, guess who else is in attendance? He is. He's there. He has authority to crash your party of two or three. He's in charge of maleness and femaleness. One flesh unions. I'm, in, I'm up to chapter 19 now, Matthew. There's 28 chapters, so you can tell about how far along we are. <laughs> He's in charge of little children. Let them come to me. He tells his well-intentioned constabulary, that's his disciples, who are prohibiting the children from coming. Don't. In fact, he's angry. This is one of the times in the Bible where he's angry. You know, we're not told for sure when he overturns the tables in the temple that he's angry when he does it. I don't know if he's angry or not. You know, he took the time to go out and make a whip. I don't know if he's making a whip in anger or just because, well, it's time. But when they were young, the children come to him, he is ticked. He says, let him come to me. He's in charge of treasure in heaven. His glorious throne. Twelve thrones he's in charge of in heaven. He says, not, you know, I'll have you guys sitting on twelve thrones one of these days. Eternal life he's in charge of. He has authority of over a hundredfold rewards. He's a rewarder. He, had, he has authority over who's first and who's last. The first will be last, the last will be first. And he decides. He is in charge of his own flogging. I must go to Jerusalem where I will be arrested and flogged. I'm going to go. Could have gone the other direction. He's in charge of a donkey colt that are not his, but are his. The money changers in the temple and their tables and their doves. He's in charge of all of them. He's in charge of the fig tree. Remember, he comes to the fig tree, he's looking for a snack, there's no figs on it, and he curses the fig tree, and it withers. And his disciples are like, wow. He's in, he, Mom's he's in charge. He says, now, if you have faith, you can not only wither a fig tree like this, you can tell him not to go jump away, and it will do that. Because it's about authority. He has authority over tax collectors and prostitutes. He has the power to crush, he says this, he has authority over David, he says in the book of Matthew. He has authority over this generation and the cutting short of those days for the sake of the elect. That's good news for us, too. Things are going to get really terrible near the end. Really terrible near the end. And he will cut them short. He will cut them short for the sake of the elect. He's in charge of angels and the trumpet call that's in the mail. It's coming. He's in charge of summer. Matthew says. Hallelujah. He's in charge of heaven and earth and great glory and all his possessions. The word is the pronoun. They're his. He's in charge of all that's his. He has authority over a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is dark knowledge that we don't he has authority over abundance and outer darkness and all the nations, including all the nations. All. He has authority over eternal fire, eternal punishment, eternal life, the memorialization of the woman with the alabaster flask of ointment. Remember the woman that came and she spilled this perfume on him and some said, man, you could, have, you could have spent that money on better things. And he says, this woman will be remembered forever for what she's just done. We can make it happen. So, Matthew 
and puts it in a book. We still have the book. Uh, people have it in heaven forever. He's in charge of the upper room, which is not his. So he doesn't have a place to lay his head. He doesn't own the house. And yet he says, go, go prepare. Go tell the owner of that place that the master is ready. In other words, some other guy owns it, but he's a steward. I'm the master. He has authority over foreknowledge of Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial, and he tells him that ahead of time. Still going. He has authority over Judas' actual betrayal, not just a prediction of the betrayal. Just go and do what you must do. Go do it. He has authority over the use of Peter's sword. Put the sword away, Peter. He has authority over the servant's ear that Peter just cut off. Puts his back on. He has authority over 12 legions of angels. Um, he says from the cross, you know, I could I could summons my father and would send 12 legions of angels. And I would be free. She would be toast. But I don't. The clouds. He has authority over the clouds. Is what, one reason why I chose that thunderhead as a picture at the beginning. A loud voice, he has authority over that, the yielding up of his spirit. He has authority over the women on resurrection morning. He gives them direction. And he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the summation of it. He has authority over omnipresence. And there's that thunderhead that takes me to Jesus. And uh, so let me pray. So you have authority, Lord Jesus, over ice cream and Jelly Moon games and anxiety and this age and the age to come. We are, we are not just honoring some also down into our hearts and tune our hearts so that we get it, live it, walk by faith in it, transformed by it, steady in it, and influential with it, as in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at Bethlehem Baptist Church North Campus in Moundsview, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church/youngadults.